Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Yeah, this is going to be a great night, y'all. I know folks will trickle in. Listen to this. This was the thought is we've been doing this book club for, I think, almost two years. And we've had all kinds of great friends that we featured their book. And uh, Lisa and I, of course, have been friends and co-hosts of different things over the years. And she's a board member of Red Letter Christians. So we thought, hey, let's let's just spread the love and let, let, let's co-host this thing. So now Lisa's going to host tonight with Randy. So we'll introduce everything in a minute. But I want to um, say that I think this is maybe a new era too, Lisa, for our book club. There's a few mm-hmm. other uh, kind of special hosts that we may have. And if you've got books that y'all uh, have read that you think other people would really benefit from, keep recommending them. And mm-hmm. I want to say, you know, as folks trickle in that a lot of you have been tracking uh, what's been happening over the last uh, few days in Oklahoma and I just want to thank everybody for the love and support. Uh, We've been teaming up with our friends at Death Penalty Action. And um, for folks that don't know, Oklahoma has set 25 execution dates uh, over the next two years. Every few weeks, they're planning to execute someone. It's the cruelest Hmm. execution spree we've seen in modern history. Um, And the first of those was this morning. And... um, I flew out to Oklahoma to I met with all kinds of senators and representatives, uh, parole, former parole board chair, everybody just trying to think through alternatives to the death penalty. And I had a chance to meet James Coddington and spend a couple hours with him. We read scripture together. We prayed together. Um, and mm. uh, he was executed this morning against uh, the the parole board's recommendation was for clemency to show mercy and the governor went against his own parole board uh governor stitt did which uh, over half of them are appointed by the governor so went out of his way to execute our friends out there just reeling i got off the phone with um uh james's pastor who was in the execution chamber with them um this morning so that that just happened heavy on our hearts and um yeah and and then I got home last night Lisa and and we were having a huddle here with about 30 different neighborhood leaders around gun violence and while we were meeting there was an assault rifle shooting with we heard 49 rounds in less than a minute they shattered multiple cars they hit the transformer so all the electricity went out here and uh, oh my gosh 25 year old kid that lost his life so I've had uh, you know I think the spirit knew what the spirit was up to because I'm I'm uh, it's been a hard week and I know we're all carrying different things but tonight for me it's about showing up and I want to listen I, I think this everything we're going to talk about Randy with your work of becoming rooted is about 
sustaining this thing for the long term, having mm -hmm. a healthy life with the earth, with one another. Uh, so I'm, um, I'm just really glad to be here and sit back and listen. Um, the mm -hmm. only other thing I want to say is that um, for those of you that don't know, morning prayer happens at the first of every month. And uh, we gather, usually it's at nine o'clock. I think it's nine o'clock this month um, for morning prayer. And we, we get to have another friend. Everything we're doing is trying to, you know, get friends together. So uh, Sandra Van Opstel will be our guest this month um, uh, for morning prayer on uh, September 1st. So don't miss that. And next month, little drum roll. Uh, our, <laughs> our book club book will be... Uh, Alexis Salvatierra's book, uh, Peter Heltz helped with, but Faith Rooted Organizing. And she's got a new book coming out in a couple of months, which we can't quite get a hold of yet, um, but she's going to talk about it. So grab Alexia's book next month um, and join us. It's going to be awesome. But for tonight, I couldn't be more excited to sit at the feet of my two friends, Lisa Sharon Harper and Randy Woodley. So I'm just going to step back. Lisa, it's all yours. Love you, sister. Oh, love you too, brother. Thank you so much, Shane, for inviting me to be a part of this whole dealio and, and also for, for inviting Randy Woodley to join me in conversation. If you're sitting at my feet, I'm sitting at Randy's feet tonight. Um, I am so excited for this conversation. He and I have been talking about having this conversation in some forum for actually several months because I knew when his book came out, boom, here it is, Becoming Rooted. Um, when his book came out, I said, okay, this this book, this is one of those books that is a must read for everybody, everybody, you know what I mean? Like everybody without a V, it's that, it's that important. Um, and, and the reason for that, he actually talks about in the introduction. So I want to read a portion of the introduction to you because I was so struck by it. Um, actually, lots of it. And I'm, and I'm going to, you know, open up uh, my conversation with Randy by asking him to kind of go a little bit further into this. Um, he says on the first page, he says, indigenous people are those who originate natu naturally from a certain land who have dwelled there for a long period of time. To be indigenous is to be rooted. To be part of a community or ethnic group with historic continuity. Indigenous people understand how to live with the land. And so that is something that I've learned in my own search for my own identity, because if you've read my book, Fortune, you know that there's a portion, there's a line in my family's um, story where it is fabled. It is the story is that we have connection also to the Cherokee people, also Creek and Chickasaw. And so, but there's something else that Randy says in his, in this opening piece that this is really where I want to park. He says, we are all indigenous to some place. Can I just repeat that? We are all indigenous to some place. We are all from somewhere. I repeat, he says, we are all indigenous from somewhere. Allow that phrase to sink deep into your being. Now begin to open yourself up to the reality embedded deep within your DNA, your very own identity. Each human being is a finely crafted amalgamation of various ethnicities, each originating from a particular place on earth. Your ancestors were at one time all 
indigenous. What? Okay, so that is somebody who is thinking very, very deeply. And I want to I want to invite um, Randy in now. I don't know if we can also get Randy on the screen. Yay, yes, we can. So great. Randy, welcome. Welcome to the book study, the book club at Thank RLC. You. Glad to be here with you, Lisa, Shane, and everybody else. Yeah, I would love to see you guys and spend time with you. So, so thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Well, you know, you say you say in your introduction, actually, and I and I you were so vulnerable, first of all, I just want to say in the writing of this book, one of the reasons why it's so striking to me is that I learned things about you that I had never known. And I've known you for about 20 years now. So the fact that I learned new things by reading this book was actually kind of, it was kind of cool. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm meeting uh, Randy for the first time in some ways. So on the top of page three, you say, um, although being Indian was a significant part of my identity growing up, I only began practicing a more traditionally oriented indigenous lifestyle and way of thinking in my 20s. So I wonder if you can share with us, before we dive into the content of the actual book, how did that process happen? Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've always had a native identity, I guess, uh, ever since yeah. I was a grade school kid, um, which was always strange because, you know, my, of my, um, um, uh, my, my mom's two, uh, she had a lot of half siblings, but of her two siblings and my dad's, uh, nine siblings, you know, my mom was the one that ended up being like, you know, carrying the really white jeans. And so mm. I got those. So people <laughs> used to think that was funny, you know, here's the little white boy who thinks he's Indian kind of a mm. thing, you know? And, mm. um, uh, and so growing up, that was always a, you know, a, a, a point of, uh, of interest to people and sometimes a point of contest, you know, like, oh, you're not really Indian, you know? Yeah. So, um, and, and I have ancestors who were tribal chiefs and signed peace treaties and everything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, but um, it, it just so happens that, you know, we all, like I said, are a mixture of, of all kinds of things. And so, uh, yeah. and genetics are really interesting. So, um, so I've had that. My, um, uh, growing up, I, I, I always like culturally, I, I grew up in a very rough, multi-racial uh, place near Detroit where, mm -hmm. you know, it was like 40% uh, black, 40% white and 20% other, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. or maybe even 10% other, but um, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it was a rough place. And so um, identity was an important thing. Um, and it got me to the point where I was interested in that at a young age, like, you know, I hung out with Hawaiian friends and hung out with native friends and hung out with black friends and hung out with white friends and, you know, and, and white people from different places and Jewish friends. And, and I had this wonderful multi, I didn't realize at the time it was such a privilege, mm -hmm. but I had this wonderful childhood in a very rough place um that that afforded me the ability to start thinking outside of just myself right wow and so um so, so how did the once, practices begin yeah that, i really want to know how yeah, that happened so, well I, like i would hang out with the indian kids um uh and mostly try to hang out with their parents because my my parents were fully assimilated um okay. 
been assimilated for uh, two and three generations. Yeah. So um, I think it was uh, two gen- three generations ago where people spoke Cherokee in, in uh, my people's home. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm trying to reclaim that. So I would hang out with these mostly Ojibwe kids mm-hmm. who'd be in our school system and hang out with their parents. And I, you know, sit with the, like the dad sometimes and say, yeah, like teach me how to be Indian, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't know, like, that's, that's not really cool to say, but <laughs> right. all I knew, all I knew is I didn't want to be that kind of an Indian who said, you know, oh yeah, my great grandparents spoke the language or, you know, yeah. you know, that wasn't what I was interested in. I was, uh, and I think at a very young age, and this is going to be a point, I think we bring up, we talk about this indigeneity mm-hmm. at a very young age. Um, my ancestors were calling me, you know, mm-hmm. and creator allowed that to happen so that, so that wow. I would know who I am in life. Um, it's been an interesting path. Uh, wow. and so, um, yeah, so I, I left home, um, you know, at 19, gave my life to Jesus, started uh, following, uh, him and, um, in the ministry and then became a, you know, a, a preacher boy, a you know, mm-hmm. flaming evangelist and all the rest. And, did all that and uh and but something just wasn't sitting right with me about all that and at some point I, this identity question came back to me because i used to you know like i had you know my long hair and wharton braids sometimes and i had the you know american indian movement posters in my wall and all that but when i became a follower of jesus you know they said like get rid of all that stuff right that's wow a wow so i did that for a number of years wait i want to i want people to get a picture because i've actually i think i saw a picture of you when you were in that white jesus white jesus era of your life and like you were really truly whiteified oh, yeah. <laughs> i mean it's a it's like you can't even recognize you in that in that time period so can you explain to people kind of like what did what did white jesus do to you White Jesus. Oh man. So white white Jesus like was was only interested in me telling other people about Jesus, not in relationships, not in the earth, not in, you know, building community. White Jesus was just like telling me just to go out there and preach the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that that wasn't the gospel. Wow. That was just a very tiny sliver of the gospel. Wow. Living the gospel is is what, you know, the real Jesus has called us all to do. And so, so all of that began to churn within me. And, uh, and I finally came to the point where I was like, no, like I'm native. I got rid of all my white man ties and my three piece suit and all that kind of stuff. And I just, wow. and, and that was about like, uh, that was in 1986 because mm-hmm. what had happened is I was in Alaska as a missionary, um, among um, uh, Inuit and Aleut uh, youth, um, juvenile delinquents and uh, behaviorally uh, disturbed kids. And and uh, and I realized at that point that those two years as a missionary, that I was oppressing them culturally. And then I began wow. to think, well, this is what happened in my own family, right? And this is how we got to be where the place that we are without quote unquote our culture and and I, I left Alaska in 1986, and I said, I'll never oppress my own people again. I will never turn back to that sort of a way of thinking. And I've wow. got to discover on my own what it means to follow Jesus as a Native person. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I spent three years in uh, seminary getting an MDiv, trying to figure that out. And then I hit the ground with my feet running in Anadarko, Oklahoma, which is sometimes called Indian capital of the nation. 
and uh, and I had a whole lot of elders there who, who surrounded me and helped me and um, uh, and you know figured this out and before mm. long I, I was a single dad at the time it's for long I ended up marrying a, a wonderful native woman uh, yes and who, uh, who made the earrings that I have on by the way remember these <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I'm so excited about these earrings these are the bomb I got yeah. a compliment on them from somebody on the street today <laughs> I just want you to know they're great anyway yeah. keep going <laughs> she, she's incredible I, yeah I married Wonder Woman mm-hmm. the native Wonder Woman she really but, is uh, yeah uh, yeah, you just don't own a half of it. She really is. I mean, mm. you know, I'm not just saying that because that's what husbands say sometimes. I'm mm. like, all my kids can testify to that fact too. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, we got married and had three Indian kids and mm. uh, raised my other daughter uh, to to be native and appreciate those kinds of things. And, and uh, the, the, you know, uh, participated in ceremonies and were eventually given ceremonies and and then in, in all this time, theologically, I'm mulling this stuff over, right? And now the thing about connecting to the earth, though, yeah. there's some things that if you're indigenous and you don't even, you, you know, and it's been generations, you don't realize there's still a lot of indigenous things that are passed on culturally. Okay. So my parents, one of, the, one of their sort of uh, um, traits was they always had giant gardens, right? And so as a kid, that was my playground. So we were always, you know, like, you know, working in the dirt and picking corn and tomatoes and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and that was just a natural part of what it meant. And and then my mother was very much, I, I meant to dedicate this book to my mother. And I realized after it got uh, printed that I forgot to put that in there, but it's really dedicated to her. Mm-hmm. She is the, like the, the most greenest thumb uh, I fell in love with creation because of my mother. She loved the birds and she loved the trees and she loved the plants and she loved the animals. And, mm-hmm. and she was just so at home with all of that. And, uh, and so I think I caught that. And uh, between that and growing our own food, you know, I sort of ended up this way. But when Edith and I married, I was doing the gardens and she was like, you know, I grew up on a ranch with cows and horses and I don't do gardens, right? <laughs> and then eventually it got contagious and she's connected. And now she's, she's, is, uh, you know, in love with the land and growing things and in this relationship and talking to our crops and, you know, more than I am even. So it's mm-hmm. just, uh, yeah. So I kind think of it awesome. was 1989 that this transition happened. Yeah. All right. Well, that's awesome. I think we might've lost that last part of what you were saying. So can you just say that again for the sake of the recording? Yeah. I think it was like from this transition that you're talking about was really from uh, like um, from 80, 86 to 89. Okay, and then wow. by 89, I was like fully practicing my indigeneity. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah. say um, also like, we're going to spend a lot of time in this first segment um, in the introduction, because you really kind of lay out the worldview that you're working with in the introduction. And then the, la- the rest of the whole book is a hundred reflections on creation and, and really helping us, really what you're doing is you're helping us to regain a relationship with the earth and with the rest of the community of creation. And so looking at this question of indigeneity, because it's central to your point that, that the call is for us to re- gain um, relationship with the land, 
that we are on now and also the land that our people came from. So I just think it's profound. That idea that in our DNA, our ancestors are actually present. Um, They are with us right now. They are living right now in us. I had that same revelation as I was doing my own, you know, DNA work and genealogy work. And in it, so when somebody tells me, when they say, oh, I believe in past lives, I'm like, yeah, me too. (laughs) It's called my great, great, great grandfather and my great, great, great grandmother. They're literally in me. I am them. And yeah, so that's a whole nother thing. Kind of like a cloud of witnesses type thing, right? uh, Yes. Yes. Kind of like a Jesus on the transformation mount kind of thing Mm -hmm. um, where he's talking to his ancestors in the present time. You know, we just don't even know what to do with that. And in in a Western worldview. So you say on page three, I'm like, we're going very slowly through the book here, but on page three, you say, yes, true indigeneity is something earned over thousands of years. Yet if we try, we can all learn to adopt indigenous values into our lives, both from our own ancestry. And if we are very fortunate from the indigenous people who live with the land, upon which we live now, and then planting your roots on the land in which you live is the only way to restore harmony and balance on earth. And later on, you talk about making, uh, becoming better earth relatives. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we are all in relationship with the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, right now we've got a relationship with gravity that keeps us on the earth. Uh, We have a relationship with the water that sustains us. We have a relationship with the food that we eat. It's just, have we critically thought through this and decide what kind of relationship we have? Mm. I mean, we either have, you know, you know, we're doing okay in some ways and maybe in some ways we're not Mm -hmm. apparently as a society, we're not doing that well, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but we are in relationship to all of these things, what I call the whole community of creation. And we're not like over it, under it, outside of it. We are part of it. You know, we are part of God's good plan to be a part. In fact, our I would say that our fundamental role as human beings is what some people might call caretakers or keepers of the land. Mm-hmm. We are to maintain harmony and balance within the land. And I know you think that way too. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen your work that you've done in the word dominion and what that's about. Mm-hmm. Our fundamental role as a human being is to take care of the rest of the whole community of creation. And that's why in the story, right, in Genesis, human beings are created last because we're the only ones sort of equipped to keep everything else in harmony. You know, that's a big responsibility. Wow. And we're not doing that well at it, you know. Um, and so, um, and so who we are as human beings is to be in relationship with the rest of the community creation. And I'm talking about all the way from the microbes to your dog. Is that babe? Um, yes, my dog, uh, babe. (laughs) Yeah. You know, all the way, you know, it, it, it's, it's, we're all a part of it. And, Mm -hmm. and this healing that we're hoping will come about and this harmony that we're coming about, you know, in this what some people would call salvation, but I think a better word is healing, is that we are all about healing ourselves and healing the land and healing each other and healing our relationships. That's what we're put here to do. Hmm. You know, you you talk about the earth as if it's a living being, a living thing. And like, so I get the picture of the earth breathing when I'm talk, when I'm reading your work. 
um, in your stories, but also you actually talk about the earth being a relative and you don't have a relative with a, with an inanimate object. How do we, how do we, what does it take to transform our, our worldview, our, our, our picture um, of the earth from a thing that we live on to being a living, breathing entity being yeah. as you do? Yeah, well, for some people, sometimes it takes just an experience, many, many experience out in the wild that all of a sudden they discover, you know, that, that nature is really a lot uh um, they're a lot more vulnerable in nature is a lot closer than they think, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because we tend to think of ourselves, especially in urban situations, like, you know, nature's out there. No, nature's mm-hmm. everywhere, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, this garden, this good garden of Eden, if you will, that we have is right outside there underneath that sidewalk and underneath those mm-hmm. buildings and, and in those trees and singing from those trees. You know, it's it's like, no, all of this we are a part of, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this animation that's occurring. And uh, and so, you know, we just have to get out and do that. So that's one way is to, and, and that, that's really why I wrote the book, is mm-hmm. to give people permission to get out and reestablish that relationship, to reconnect, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. um, but but I think there um, there's, it because this worldview, this Western worldview that we have is so embedded in us. And it's in every system around us. It's in economics, it's in education, it's in the penal system, it's in, you know, you know, the, the uh, law system, all of those kinds of, um, of areas. Uh, this bifurcated worldview that says that um, it, it's really, if we trace it down, it's platonic dualism. And, and I know you talk about this and we talk about this together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This idea that the ethereal realm or the spiritual or the mind and the products of the mind are uh, privileged above the material world. Yeah. That is actually a split in reality. Mm. That is an unreal worldview, but that's the worldview in which we live. And so in order to peel away the layers of that onion, we have to go through this deconstruction or decolonization. And, and then, you know, as part of that is happening, part of the healing then is to indigenize to a different worldview. And of course, the worldview that, that I'm pushing in America here is our indigenous worldview. Um, mm-hmm. The people who have lived with this land for so many thousands of years. It makes sense too, Randy. I mean, it, it makes sense because what you're really saying is that we are disconnected from this land because we're not from here. Those who are from here are connected to it and know what it takes to steward it well. And right. so what it looks like for us to restore harmony, restore wellness between all those relationships that you mentioned will really require us to learn from those who have been here for 13, 15, 16, 20,000 years and learn from their, the, the lessons they've learned about how to live with the land well. Right. And that was really the mistake of the first, you know, settlers was like, Mm -hmm. they came already sort of like knowing, right? They had this worldview and it was like, you know, well, we own this land anyway. (laughs) We don't have to listen to anybody. And, uh, you know, a lot of them found out, you know, right away, like, you know, they start dying by, you know, uh, by the barrels full, uh, you know, at Jamestown and Plymouth and all these other places without the native people, they wouldn't have survived. Right. 
And so they, they found out real quick, like, oh, we need these people. But then they forgot about that. They, they didn't, they weren't grateful by and large. And they went on and they decided to live on the land in the way they wanted, as opposed to the way that, that creator had given us to live on the land mm -hmm. for so many thousands of years. Right. So, so Randy, Oh, forgive me. I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were going. <laughs> but I want to know, why do we need to become rooted now? Why mm -hmm. now? Yeah. So um, I, I think a couple things are going on. One is just the whole for the sake of the earth. And you know, it's, it's really for our sake. I mean, the earth's going to be fine in the long run, but we may not be here to steward it. Right. We may not mm -hmm. be here to, to keep it. Uh, we may lose our privilege of having that place that as human beings, which we were created to do. Um, so, so there's that, but there's also lots of things going on in the, you know, the spiritual community, right? In the faith community. And um, the earth is our first and longest lasting teacher. Mm. I mean, it was put here before a Bible. It was put here before any kind of buddy's doctrine. It was put here for us to look at and learn and watch and understand. And so to, to ignore the insights that other people have from living with the earth is mm -hmm. to ignore it at our own peril. And um, we've, we've got to stop that tradition. That tradition has been going on too long in this country. It's been, you know, over 500 years and, uh, and begin to say, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe we ended up coming to this land because we were supposed to learn something. And of course, mm -hmm. Europe wow. at the time of quote unquote discovery, mm -hmm. Europe was a mess. It was going yes. through much of the same thing that we're going through. The, yeah. the the oak forest and hardwoods were being cut down and used for castles and weapons and smelting and all that kind of stuff, churches wow. and cathedrals and and uh you know and in fortresses. Uh the the bays they were all fished out, they were polluted, and people could not drink the water anymore. And you know, all this, you know, disease was rampant. And that same worldview came here and 500 years later, now it's brought the same calamity here. Wow. And so we have to change. We maybe, have to learn a lesson. Maybe we've been brought here to learn something. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So Randy, I want to get into the meat of your book. Um, you there, so you have about a hundred, do you have 100? Yes, you do. 100 reflections, which I just love. I mean, look at this. They're actually numbered. And each reflection is like a page and a half long. This is, I was whizzing through this and I'm a slow reader because I normally have to think and see things in order to really get it. But like I'm reading, I don't know if you can see this and you really can't see, but I'm like, oh, I just finished chapter 21. Oh, I just finished chapter 20. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's meant to be sort of like a so daily cool. walk, right? You know, like exactly. I'm yeah, I, I really don't want people to read it like cover to cover. I want them to just no. walk through it, pick it up every now and then, use it. You know, it's a tool. Well, what I love about it is it really, it's like you could do 100 days um, with the earth. You could do 100 days getting, in fact, I think you did do that. Didn't you lead? Um, yeah, we came out, that? we did a Facebook live thing and, and we came out reading everybody a, a chapter a day together and we ended on Earth Day and had a big celebration here at LA. So Wow. Okay, so. Randy Woodley um, is Dr. Randy Woodley, y'all. He's an activist, a scholar, an author, a teacher, a wisdom keeper, and a Cherokee descendant recognized by the Kitua Band, who speaks on justice, faith, and the earth. 
and Indigenous Realities. And he's the author of numerous books. And the first book that I ever read of yours, I don't even, it's not listed. It's not listed in your bio because it's a really early book. But it, I'll tell you what, it blew my mind. And I'm not even sure you can get it anywhere now, but it's called Mixed Blood, Not Mixed Up. Mm-hmm. And that book blew my mind and it helped me even in my own, my own search uh, for understanding identity. And, but this book, um, Becoming Rooted, like I said, has actually done, it, it's, it's, it is helping me even to get reconnected, de- more deeply connected. Also, because at the end of each chapter, you have reflection questions. So I want to ask you, like when you're looking at, let's, let's go, let's go to, practicing silence. Um, you have each of these chapters is named something. And literally you take about a page and a half to reflect on that one thing through a story or a lesson that you've learned. And I wonder if you can just talk to us a bit about practicing silence. What can we learn from the silence? Yeah. So, uh, I think that's what number one. Yep. Number one. Okay. So, yeah, and I start out each one with a quote from somebody famous. They, you know, mm-hmm. uh, this one happens to be Chief Seattle, um, and uh, but I mean, I quote from Tick Not Han, and I quote from you know Shakespeare and all kinds of people. But uh, I thought that was so cool. I was like, look at Shakespeare up in here. Okay. Yeah, so I just wanted to get people kind of thinking um, what great minds have said about things like this, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so the whole thing is like, if you think about. And, and I don't actually remember exactly everything I wrote in here, and I'm not going to read it right now. To, <laughs> That's okay. To, uh, so, but but I know this mm-hmm. that it's very there. There are very few places you can go where there is um, silence. Mm-hmm. There are very few places we can go where you don't have a jet going over overhead or mm-hmm. cars whizzing by or whatever. But silence is really important, and I think probably one of the most profound experiences is. For me, it was when I went out in the Nevada desert one time, and uh, and I just mm-hmm. decided, you know, I need to hear from God, right? And mm-hmm. I was out there, and it was so quiet, and uh, but because like creatures are everywhere and they're alive, right? Mm-hmm. So so they're moving and stuff like this. But this this got to be really silent, and uh, and sometimes like um, I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's like God, are you going to speak to me? You know, mm-hmm. like. And then you get, you give up and like on your way back to the car, you know, creator whispers a word in your ear. Mm. <laughs> and it's, mm. it's funny because, uh, but until I prepare myself with that silence, I may not be able to hear that, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so I, I think that uh, we need that just like we need to hear each other. Mm. Um it's it's kind of like uh wow that's deep yeah there but the other thing is while you're out there so i took uh i I had a class i used to teach called theology and ethic of the land Mm -hmm. and one of the things i would do is take my students out on the land and in the campground or somewhere out in the you know park and and we'd sit out there and i'd say okay now i want you to go out just take a note a notebook and a a pencil or pen with you and i want you to just sit in silence for an hour don't do anything else but sit in silence. Wait, can I just say, because you actually suggested that in this chapter, and I was all ready to do it. And then I heard hour. I was literally thinking five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was like, I know I can do this for five minutes. And yeah. then you said an hour, and you were like, oh, yeah. And then you can work your way up to a day. I was like, holy. 
<laughs> it helped me to see how bad I am at it. So keep going. We're, I'm sorry. We're so used to noise, you know? Yes. And, yes. And it's, uh, it, but this like joy of silence. Right. And, and I thought the first time I did that, I thought, well, these students are going to come back here and go, you know, and then I say, after an hour, you can write something down, you know, mm. did you learn anything? What, what went through your mind? Did you hear a uh, creator speaking to you? And, and I thought, you know, what am I going to do if they all come back and say, I didn't hear, they had so much stuff that we didn't even have time to hear from everybody. We had to cut people short because, and that happens every time we do that every time. Wow. And so, you know, the, the whole idea is that, you know, God's primary way of speaking to us is through creation, mm. but we're not listening, right? Mm. So we've got to start listening. You say in chapter four, and this one is called what the plant people are saying. You say when humans interfere with the course of nature in an unnatural way, such as by damming a river, we are bound to experience unknown and often unwanted consequences. And then drop down a little bit. You say today we seldom see nature in her unmolested glory. So we rarely consider the degree to which human civilization has changed what is natural to what is unnatural. I just thought that was so profound. And then in the next paragraph, you say earth is weakening. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So, so all of our elders are saying things like, yeah, the medicines aren't as strong as they used to be, mm -hmm. uh, but science is also explaining that and what's happening. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of sad, but, you know, one of the things that gave me great hope was, mm. uh, and I don't know if people have seen this, they can, I think they can see it on one of the streaming services, but Richard Attenborough, you know, Sir Richard Attenborough yeah. uh, did a, uh, a, a thing during the COVID year, right? It was called mm -hmm. the year the earth changed. Oh, wow. And if, if you haven't seen that, you got to see that. Oh my gosh. In mm. just one year, all these incredible things happened. Animals recovered, species that were going extinct, you know, like uh, fish came back who hadn't been seen in years. When wow. we leave things alone, nature takes care of itself, right? Wow. And so we've got to learn how to have a soft touch uh, mm -hmm. with nature. And we've got to get back to like, you know, we, we've, we've got other ways of producing energy. We don't need the dams that block the salmon that's mm. you know that stop that whole cycle and these kinds of things and so mm. we've got to be able to and this is one of the things when i speak to young people mm -hmm. you know i tell them low you know because i have great hopes in the um, millennial and gen z generations right now i like they show up right and and they have this worldview where they don't want the paradigm that their parents gave them right mm -hmm. so so they want to see things right they don't want the racism the homophobia the death penalties all the rest of the the junk that this crazy society western worldview has brought on they want mm -hmm. something different and they're looking for for what that different is you know and so mm -hmm. and i tell them look you've got to be the mayors and the city council people and the uh, justices, and you've got to be the attorneys and you've got to be the park rangers and you've got to be mm -hmm. the people who make these changes because these are all structural things that have to change. And it means people with vision to get in and change those structures. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm very hopeful that we can, you know, I'm hoping it doesn't take another COVID or anything else to yeah. see 
nature start coming back to the the uh, its natural state. Yeah. And it strikes me, Randy, that the the consequences and also the impacts of of living according to that Western worldview, which dams up dams in order to get energy or in order to save downstream white communities. As you know, that's happened a lot actually within native, like native native uh, nations that have been placed on reserves often have had their lands flooded out by dams that have been placed in, but put there in order to keep water from flowing actually. Um, into or, or overflowing into white communities that, that plant themselves further downstream. That happened um, with uh, with a with a tribe out in South Dakota. Sorry, North Dakota. North Dakota. Yeah. Yeah, in North Dakota, I was there at that resort. Right. Yes. Exactly. Northern <coughs> Hidatsa, um, Arikara, uh, um, and they to to go to that land to see where it used to be. There used to be a town. At it, and now it is what they call a lake, but it's not a lake because lakes are 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 made by God. This is a re, a reserve that is made by humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not only about hugging a tree, even though that's great, but it's actually about also because we're all connected. It's also about hugging the image of God in all and making sure that all are provided for oftentimes when when we when we make the natural unnatural it is to serve only some and not all yeah what do you think i of mean that? that's the absolute reality um and it, the same it goes with like storage of uh nuclear materials and toxic waste mm-hmm. and you know it's it's the often the um, bipod community who suffers the most because of those things mm-hmm. air pollution other things like that mm-hmm. uh, so in and the whole you know the thing uh, with the uh, uh, Dakota Access Pipeline was just about that. It was like the white community said, "No, we're not. We're not going to allow it through our community. Send it mm-hmm. through to the Indian community, right?" Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we 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 have to begin to think with equity and equality and justice when we make these decisions. And um, I think one of the things that we've seen is that the this generation is just not going to be able to do that. So we need to begin to elect people who will think that way, right? Wow. And who will be influenced toward that way. So in chapter seven, you actually talk about um, nature speaking. And I love that because it kind of naturally flows from what we were talking about. And I want to say there are 100 chapters, y'all. So we are not going to get through all of them. (laughs) But I do. These are the ones that really jumped out at me. And there are actually several others later on in the book. But but this one I thought was really cool because you talk, you say your your you say my ancestral DNA apparently gave me an inclination towards single-mindedness, right? So you you talk about how you know you can be once you were speaking at a at a speaking event and there was a child playing at your feet and you had no idea because you were yeah. so single focused on your talk. All I could think when I read that was, oh God, thank God you didn't <laughs> like move and like you know hit that child. Um, I mean, and you probably say, acknowledged okay. subconsciously they were crawling between my legs and the mother came up and apologized later. And I'm just going, <laughs> oh, I, I didn't even notice it. <laughs> yeah, right. So, but then you say nature is always speaking, but we are not often listening. And I don't expect my wife to remain silent just because I am in deep thought. I thought that was brilliant. And I have to say, this reminded me of a course that I took back in college called Art and Inner Vision. And it was an art course. 
Um, really more than anything, we just learned how to do really great collages, but it was taking our dreams and making collages. But I really think that this guy who I labeled back in the late 1980s when this present darkness was out and everything, I labeled him new age, right? So I actually was like trying to resist, resist the devil in this class. But he actually told us, isn't that something? Yes, it's the dualism that keeps us from having relationship with the rest of creation. He told us to go out and sit by a tree and see what it tells you. And all I could think to myself was, what's a tree going to tell me? I'm not going to talk to a tree. I'm supposed to be talking to God, right? As if there's this dualistic either or. But do you know that later on in life, once I you know, got a clue, I sat by a tree. I decided to do it then. Sat by a tree. And I, and I, I was like, wow, there's, this tree has a long history. And this tree is wise. And, you know, it wasn't talking to me in the same way that you might, you know, understand the Lords of the Rings. Was it the, the ints, the trees, yeah, the, the, ints, yeah. the forest, right? Trees move kind of slow. So, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. It wasn't talking to me like that. But I did. I mean, it was striking. I actually got a relationship with this. Tree. I agreed to love this tree. Mm. Um, so. I wonder if you can talk to us about how nature speaks. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've had lots of incidents and I bring a lot of those up in the book. You know, I talk about, you know, mm-hmm. speaking through uh, eagles and hawks and, you know, deer and all those other kinds of things. But, mm-hmm. but you know, it, so one time I took a trip, right? Edith and I uh, took a trip and, and we had to go uh, uh, sort of like, almost half of the United States. So we were in, we saw the Grand Canyon, right? Which is something, right? When yeah. you stand over yeah. the precipice and look. And then oh. we made it out to the Atlantic Ocean and, and mm-hmm. sort of watched that. And then we went up to Niagara Falls, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I was as impressed by the Niagara River and how scary that was as much as the falls. Was. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh because they didn't have like it chained off you could like just walk into it if you want and uh, and go off the fall so but like in that trip i realized it's like like this is who our creator is right wow we get these little bitty tastes of this magnificence and this awe and this and this is just one aspect i mean there's you know um the you know i mean i feel uh, uh love when I hear a redbird speak and I feel, you know, uh, when I, I hear a loon, you know, and, mm. but, but this all aspect, you know, it was like, you know, and, and yet it's so puny compared to who creator is, but he's, but creator's given us these things, these kinds of things to teach us like how great mm-hmm. God is. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they just sort of like, instead of like rejecting those or going, Oh, that's nature lovers or what we, what we need to do is like, thank you, God, mm-hmm. you know, you have, you have shown yourself in this. And so, and so creation speaks, you know, to us mm-hmm. in the smallest ways, you know, you know, every day I go out and I watch, you know, the sunset and I watch the hummingbirds and, you know, and it's, it's like, there's just something beautiful right now. And I talk about this also that, you know, nature also seems cruel sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, you know, things yeah. eat each other all throughout nature. Everything's eating each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is part of 
the cycle. This is part of what it means to live is sometimes something else has to die, but not mm -hmm. wantonly and not wastefully. And for us as human beings, you know, we're taught we if, if we take an animal or even when we, you know, I, I, I went out and I picked it just to check uh, to see if the corn was ready that we planted. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I picked one. Isn't that beautiful? It's gorgeous. I mean, that is just wow. beautiful corn. This is your corn that you grow. Yeah. yeah wow. that we just, this is the first ear I picked. And is that blue corn? It's uh, red corn. Yeah. It's a, I think red it's called Mandan Bride, red corn. Wow. And it's just beautiful. And every one of these kernels that you see can grow another ear of corn that will produce a couple more ears of corn. And so it's this cycle, right? Right. Um, and you know, it's, it's beautiful. I enjoy it. But when I picked it, uh, it's in what we call the three sisters, the corn, beans, and squash. You know, I said, thank you, sister corn, you know, mm -hmm. thank you for giving my family life. Uh -huh. This is what's going to help sustain us. And, and, uh, and then I thank the other two sisters for helping her along, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and this is how we're meant to live, mm -hmm. to be grateful, to see the sacrifice that all other living creatures have to make to sustain us or that we have to make to sustain them because there's reciprocity, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and I want to think about it also just mm -hmm. as like in terms of a gift. If mm -hmm. you give me a gift in our, in our Indian way, mm -hmm. if I don't take care of that gift and I get rid of it or whatever, that basically what I'm saying is I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Wow. I, I treated the gift that you gave me with disdain. That's true. We've yeah, been given you, the gift of creation by creator. And creator expects us to treat it well. Because when we reject creation and we mistreat creation, we're mistreating the creator as well. How does individualism factor into this? What, how, what's the impact of, our, of Western individualism on our capacity to steward the land and have that relationship yeah so you know individualism is just another um, um expression of greed and selfishness hmm. mm -hmm. um if we're not i mean I, I think this is where jesus teachings are so classic right mm -hmm. do unto others as you would have them do unto you that involves your interaction with other people and treating them the same way, um, understanding them as equally important as you. You know, you want to be fed. You want to be housed. You want to be treated fairly. You want to, uh, you know, have a shower, you know, when you need one. Um, so make sure that everybody else does, too. Mm. And that spans across society. You know, if we all treated each other that way then there wouldn't be individualism. We wouldn't need it. But individualism Amen. is about getting what's mine, right? Hmm. I want more than somebody else. I want to have more. And so, you know, when we get wrapped up in that, as our whole lives begin to, you know, center around ourselves or our own families or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And, and instead of understanding that, like, we're all in, in and I'll go farther and say, you know, yeah, we all are treated differently in the whole circle of life, but we have to treat everything with respect, including the food we eat, 
whether, you know, uh, with the birds, the, you know, the water that we drink is especially crucial right now. Right. It all has to be treated with respect in that, that sense of equality. Um, now, it doesn't mean that everything is the same because it's not. That's part of the diversity of human nature. But the unity mm -hmm. is that we're all in this together. Right. Yeah. Can you talk to us about loving the seventh generation? Yeah. So, um, so the book is divided up into 10 sections, right? Mm -hmm. And each section is a little bit different. And I'm trying to also help people understand uh, what the difference between what I call like um, uh, small I indigenous and capital I indigenous, which capital I is the, the indigenous people of the land that have had a relationship with it that where you live. Those are the capital I indigenous people that we can learn to be more small I indigenous from them and ourselves and exploring all different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, some of these are, you know, like seeing and naming indigenous splendor, realizing the American dream is an indigenous nightmare, um, returning to the harmony way, loving earth, loving spirit, loving the seventh generation. And so I wanted to have a section where we talked a little bit about the future That's and right. yeah. uh, future orientation. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to dwell on that because it can um, uh, you, we can we can move this movement, this earth, good earth movement into something that becomes utopian. Mm. See, Christianity did that, mm. you know, like, you know, living, living, not living for today, but living for something, some hope of tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's not if we're not living for today, um, we're not living. Mm. And so, but I wanted to end the, the thing with thinking about like the seventh generation. So we're told to think about the effects of the decisions you make on the next seven generations. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about me. It's not just about my generation, but it's about seven is how is this going to affect seven generations down? You know, how is a dam going to affect them? How is short sightedness with our energy? you know, all of those kinds of things going to affect those generations. And I have to treat my decisions with the kind of wisdom that will affect those generations well also. When you think about the world as it is right now, we are a divided nation. We're we are an ever dividing church, um, people streaming from churches because they're not finding connection there, connection to each other, connection to the to the land connection to each other um and, and and not only that but there's really literally a cultural war that has reached a climax or it feels like it's reaching a climax here how can the re-indigenization of us in terms of our um taking the values um taking on um putting on the values that we find in indigenous cultures around the world, including the ones we come from, as well as the ones of the people who are here, how can that save the world? So tolerance is probably one of the greatest gifts and, and greatest weaknesses of our indigenous people, of our mm. native American people. Mm -hmm. um, highly tolerant, there was never a religious war in this country before 1492, right? Mm. Um, mm. So. Wow. So people are allowed to believe what they want. Um, and, and that's part of the, the breaking up the dualism in this is at the end of every chapter, I have something you can actually go out and do. 
right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, the, in, in, most of them are go out and do something related to what you just read. And, mm -hmm. and I give suggestions is, is breaking that up. So um, if we're, if we're wanting to like uh, argue over doctrine, over um, politics, even though politics matter and doctrine matters and all the rest, um, rather than how we live together as human beings, which is the yeah. most important thing, right? Then we have to listen to each other and we have to learn from one another. We may not change our minds, but, you know, I think about Jesus sitting at the table, right? Mm -hmm. My favorite verse, Luke 15, one and two, his favorite verse of scripture is, and the favorite story is that whole chapter. And it says the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble and complain because Jesus sat with sinners and even ate with them, right? So mm. he's eating with them. He's with the people, right? And, yeah. and, and, and the Pharisees fed the people, but Jesus sat with the people. Mm. And, Ooh, and you know preach. what? That when, will preach. Yeah. When he sat with the people, guess what? He didn't do all the talking. Mm. He didn't know what it was like to be a prostitute. He didn't know what it was like to be a leper. He didn't know what it was like to be a tax collector. He didn't know. He had to listen to them to understand their wow. story. Mm -hmm. He didn't override them with theology and doctrine and everything else. He listened with love. Mm -hmm. And and we owe it to one another to hear one another and think the best of one another and not scheme against one another. Now, it doesn't mean we can't be political and we can't have movements and have opinions but we have to do that in an atmosphere where we love one another it's it's possible sometimes my wife and i and there's nobody on earth that i love more than my wife yeah. but we disagree sometimes mm -hmm. gasp uh, <laughs> imagine that and, right and sometimes we just have to agree to disagree mm -hmm. but you know what i'm not going to let it ruin our relationship mm. I'm still going to love her. She's still going to love me. And, you know, and so I think we have to just think in terms of being human beings to one another. Oh, we were made you know, to be human beings. Yeah. I think, honestly, I think you just nailed it right there. I mean, I think that the call to indigeneity is the call to remember who we are in relationship to all of the rest of creation and God. And maybe, maybe, you know, our print, this is what I have come to understand. Our principal sin in the West is actually not just to try to be perfect, but rather to try to be God, to try yeah. to control, right. To control. That's all not things. our place. Yeah. See right. that control is part of the Western mentality. It's mm -hmm. control. I mean, it's, uh, you, I can just walk you through a church service. Like from the time you walk in, like, say you walk in with your kids, right. Right. Somebody wants to take them, set you here at this time, get up, sit down, do it. You know, that's not like our native ceremonies. We don't, it's different. It's control is like evil. And wow. so when we're trying to control other people, we are participating in evil. Oh, Lordy Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you really kind of threw down right there because that really is, that's a bomb because most, most churches are all trying to figure out the formula. And then they're going to put the people through the formula, the formula for discipleship, the formula yeah. for the service, the formula. What's the formula to actually get, get people going and moving. But what you're talking about is profound because honestly, what it would lead to is it would lead to 
more of the images of God on earth flourishing because they are being given the opportunity to actually exercise dominion over their lives and over the moments. And whenever doctrine or laws or death sentences or whatever we're looking at as products of this dualism, right? Because Mm -hmm. more important are the things of the mind and the, you know, over people themselves and the life experience. And whenever we put those things above our human experience, I think we dishonor God, we dishonor our neighbor, we dishonor ourselves. And so we have to understand ourselves as whole people and uh, in our whole life experience and everybody is worth something, you know? Thank you so much, Randy. This has yeah, so been so one more, fabulous. One, one quick thing. Uh, yes. And I, I never do this, but um, I, I'm just assuming you guys don't know. But, uh, you know, I've actually written three books this year. Yes. Yes. So, in um, one year. Crazy. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the first, the, this one was the first. It came out in January. The second was called Indigenous Theology in the Western Worldview, mm-hmm. a decolonial approach to Christian doctrine. And the third one's the one I want to mention if I can. Is that okay, Shane? I can Please do. Yeah, so man, go. All right. go for it. I wrote a book. Uh, you know, I've been a missionary, a missiologist, a pastor, all of this for all these years. And I I wrote down sort of my epitaph, if you will, called Mission and the Cultural Other, a Closer Look. And what I want to do is take on the whole missionary enterprise and say we've done it wrong. We've even gotten the gospel wrong. And mm-hmm. there's a better way to do this. And so mm-hmm. that book is coming out September 1st. Uh, you can actually get it discounted wow. right now 40 percent off through whip and stock at their website it's called mission and the cultural other and truth. the code mission for 40 percent discount is called truth 40 capital okay. t or truth 40 that book i think is gonna uh, and i love this book this is one of my favorite books that and my children's book but mm-hmm. this book i think is going to be the most important thing i've ever had to say so i just wanted to mention it so can we and, put and the, the link to that other in the in the chat let's make sure we do that and also in the facebook feed and um shane thank you so much for inviting us to come and have this conversation our at rlc and thank you randy for um for sharing your heart really and your life in a really vulnerable way in becoming rooted can i say one more thing yeah <laughs> yes. man go for yes, it you can. one more statement what i've learned about god what I've learned about the creator is that God is the most vulnerable being who exists. And if we are not acting in vulnerability with our lives, then we're not acting like God. Hmm. Thank you, brother. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.